there are a couple of times I find myself regularly stumbling around in the dark at home. I don't know if some of you might be able to relate to this. One of those things is as as the dad of the household, I feel like it's my responsibility at night when everybody goes to bed and we're, we're kind of closing things down. I go through, I turn off all the lights on the house, in the house, and I make sure all the doors are locked. Anybody, anybody do that? I mean, this like my regular routine. And when I do that, I can't necessarily see everything on my way back to the bedroom. And for some reason, every once in a while, we like to, in our family, uh, booby trap our hallways. You know, so we'll just leave stuff there. It could be anything. It could be a little toy stroller. You know, it could be a whole big tote or something like that. I don't know why we store stuff in the hallways, but we do. It could be Legos, you know, strewn, around, you know, the walk of fire, you know, that you, that you do. And, uh, and, and there are just some times regularly that where I'm kind of walking, walking through the house. And if I find a, find a wall, you know, it's fine. I can kind of trace along that. It's not really that dark. You know, it's not like pitch black in the house. But, but every once in a while, I, I find some surprises with my toes. The other time I, I do this, and, and maybe this is... Uh, I, I've just gotten to this place in my life where sometimes I have to get up in the middle of the night. Some, some of you can re- relate to this. I, just, I need to use the bathroom. That's, that's what it is. And so I have to get up, and, I, and I'm half asleep. I don't wake up well, and, and I'm half asleep, and my eyes aren't, aren't fully open, so I'm kind of stumbling through, and I, I'll end up inevitably kicking something on the way there or on the way back. You know, it could be the, the bed post or something, you know, the little frame, the, the, the feet that are there on the mattress, and I'll just kind of misjudge my timing, and I'll just kick it. And my, I mean, that hurts if you never, anybody with me, like, you, you know, you know what it's like. It hurts extra bad when you do it when you're half asleep, because then you get woken up in a way that you don't want to be. And, um, but I always know, I always know when Renee's awake for two reasons. Because I'll, I'll, I'll do that, and I will uh, suck in my breath really loudly, and I don't ever say any bad words or anything like that, um, <laughs> right? I've never done that before. Uh, you know, but I just, I think, you know, and I kind of, you know, just have to, you know, grunt and kind of, you know, get, get, get into that. And I'll know Renee's awake uh, when that happens for two reasons. One is she'll ask me if I'm okay. And because she's laughing. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. It's very respectful. It's mostly silent, you know, but I can just, are, are you okay? Yeah, you know, just that, that kind of thing. And I'm, I, I get it. Um, I, I understand how it, how it tickles your funny bone. It actually happened to her the other, the other night, and, and we talked about this, and so that was, that was fun. Um, sometimes I, I'm just comically bad at walking when I can't see things. And we can, we can start a support group after church if anybody's with me. We can, we can do that later. To some degree, uh, I would say that we've all been there in our life. And, and definitely minus the comic relief as well. And that's why we're talking about how we navigate the tension of faith that God is good even when life is not. For some of you, maybe, maybe you grew up in church and you, re- you remember this responsive call to worship. If you've never heard of this before, I'm about to teach you one. And it's this thing where somebody would get up in church, maybe it was somebody who's leading worship, or maybe it was the preacher, and he would get up and he would say, maybe right before preaching, he'd say, God is good. All the time. Oh, man, some of y'all, some of you, yeah, you know, some of you are like, I have no idea what just happened here. <laughs> that, that, that was really weird. Yeah, the preacher would say, or the, the person calling worship would say, God is good, and everybody would say, all the time. And then the preacher would say, all the time, God is good. All right, and that's it. I just learned a new one, you know. <clears throat> and, then, and then the preacher, the, the worship leader would say, amen, it is good to be in the house of the Lord today. I'm just kidding. I, that, I just made that up. I don't, maybe, maybe y'all, y'all experienced that, but I just kind of thrown that last part in for fun. Um, I'm guessing that there are plenty of times over the years, maybe that you have heard that or experienced that, or now that you know about it, there have been plenty of times who maybe have joined in with that and maybe kind of mouth silently 
or just kind of sat there, uh, but definitely weren't feeling it. And likely it didn't feel like they were allowed to say that they weren't feeling it either that time. After all, having a real faith means that you never ask questions or admit that you have a doubt. Right? I mean, every, every time, we just, it doesn't matter what's happening. Everything's fine. Everything, everything's good. Except it isn't always. Throughout the Bible, we have plenty of examples of men and women admitting their concerns to God about his plan and asking the classic, if then, if, if God is good, then why, why is he allowing me to feel this pain? Why is he allowing me to go through this darkness in my life? The conclusion of some is that, well, God must not be good perhaps not even exist because of what I'm suffering right now. When we are in the thick of our darkest moments, we get in the habit of thinking our thoughts and questions have intrinsic value and meaning because we are in the throes of experiencing them. And perhaps in addition to dealing with them honestly and head-on, we also need to question our questions as well. Or put another way, maybe we need to doubt our doubts. And that's kind of what we've been talking about, the process in which we, we participate in dealing with life when it's not good in the face of having faith that God is, no matter what. When we're faced with doubt, depression, worry, stress, anxiety, when we're stumbling around in the dark, as overwhelming as it can be, we know that there's a path through. I mean, every time I stumble through a hallway, yeah, there might be some obstacles I kick, but, but I know that there's a way to get through to where I'm headed. I know that if I can find the wall to lean on, I can make my way through to where I need to be. And as much as we might sometimes feel alone, not only do we know that others have been through the dark ahead of us, more often than not, there are people who are willing to walk through the dark with us if we do not withdraw and isolate ourselves away from the godly relationships and community that we're meant to thrive in. God promises to never lead us, leave us or forsake us. And as we've been going through the Old Testament book of the prophet Habakkuk, it is really fun to say, so, so do that sometimes, spend some time uh, doing that we found this back and forth between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk kind of is a different kind of prophet because instead of just getting a message from God and sharing it with the people, he said, all right, God, I've got a message for you. And he's asking the question of God, how could he allow the evil that he's observing among the kingdom, southern kingdom of Judah, how could he allow that to continue and God letting him know that he's going to take care of it, just not in the way or in the timing that he might expect? And Habakkuk isn't really a fan of this, but he's going to wait in the meantime to see what God will do. And so we're going to jump into Habakkuk chapter 3. It's the last chapter of Habakkuk, and we're going to be going through that. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open that up and to read through that as we go through several verses of that chapter. But I just want to summarize Habakkuk 1 and 2 for us a little bit too. In Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk says, all right, God, I have concerns. And God says, cool, I've got a solution for that. And Habakkuk says, I don't like your solution. And so as we talk about chapter 1 and we look through that, that conversation that Habakkuk has with God, we, we learn that we need to speak honestly and listen carefully when we come up to these moments in life. Because sometimes we feel like we're not able to ask questions or to have concerns. And yet Habakkuk comes to God with that. And he speaks very honestly about how he's feeling, what he's dealing with, and, and God is expecting that and he wants that. It's, it's okay for us to ask our questions of God because he can handle it. The key is that we then need to make sure we are listening carefully to what he has to say to us in those moments as well. In Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk says, okay, God, I hear you. I'm going to sit here, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to see what you're about to do. And so we learn, we, you know, part of the process is we know that the passage of time is going to have to be a part of this movement as we hold on to hope through, through the valley of darkness maybe that we're walking through. And so we have to wait actively. 
Habakkuk's name means to embrace. And so one of the choices that we have is whether or not we're going to embrace God and hang on to him this, this moment, or if we're going to wrestle with him, you know, or if maybe we're going to do both at the same time as we learn what God is about to do. And so we're finally coming to this final process in which Habakkuk acknowledges in this scenario of waiting on God what he's going to do. So we, we haven't really come to the conclusion of the matter yet at all in the first, first couple chapters. We talked about how life is not a sitcom. And so we don't always have like a resolution at the end where it's, oh, yeah, look at these hijinks that we just got into. And now everything's perfectly fine. So as we give, get into uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, I, I just want to let you know there, there's not going to be further conversation between Habakkuk and God. So a little bit of spoiler alert. Just give you a heads up so you can be prepared for this. Um, they already concluded in chapter 2. So the discussion is there. What, what, about, what about the resolution? Like, what's going to happen? Where does, where, does Habakkuk, where does Habakkuk come to if they're not going to keep talking about this? Well, Habakkuk is left with a choice to make in chapter 3. And that is what to do with God's response. That he will do what is good and right and holy. And Habakkuk will need to wait for that process to complete at just the right time. Not just for Habakkuk's life, but for everyone else's. And in, Habakkuk, in chapter 3, I'm just going to let you know what happens. Habakkuk chooses hope. This is a faith decision that we make every time we're walking through the valley and working toward climbing the mountain again. Probably what we don't see is over time that as we consistently choose hope and our faith in God is reinforced from the mountaintop experience that we're, we're pushing forward to is that every time we stumble into the valley, because it's going to happen in a life in which we live in a world that is broken by sin, that valley is going to be higher than the last time we were in. There's an upward trajectory always when we choose hope and hang on to faith, regardless of the darkness that we might face in life. That even if, if we're going up and we feel like we've gone down, that when we choose hope and we do the work that we go as we go up again, even if we stumble again, we're continuing in that upward trajectory uh, with, with God. Because we've continued to participate in the hard work of growing and have gotten stronger as a result of it. And ultimately what Habakkuk does is that he chooses faith over doubt. And that's what hope does. I mean, hope is always going to come down to faith. Habakkuk doesn't take this at face value or blindly, but he doesn't end up choosing faith over doubt because he takes the entire scope of life into account versus just the moment of darkness that he's been experiencing. I mean, you, you could place hope in your doubts. And, and in fact, I would say a lot of people do. But it leaves us stuck in a state of arrested development. Not able to move forward because we're constantly stuck looking, looking behind versus recognizing that there, there's something bigger at work and at play in life. So here's how we choose a hopeful faith, and this is what Habakkuk does. The first thing is that Habakkuk remembers what God has already done. So in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, here's, here's what he writes. This is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Um, Shigianoth is, is just a, we don't specifically know exactly what that means, but it's a form of, uh, it's a literary or musical form in which Habakkuk basically writes a hymn about God in chapter 3. And so this is part of his, his response. And so this is what he says in verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, I do fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
And from here, if you keep reading the verses, you're going to see Habakkuk continually making references to the timeline of how God has interacted with his people. So if you look through the course of the Old Testament and the New Testament, you're going to see a timeline of God, of God interacting and moving through. You're going to see the ups and downs of uh, the people of Israel, of humanity, and things that are happen- happening there. And yet Habakkuk is referencing all these times where this significant event has happened, you, you know, the uh, 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and yet what does God do? He comes through and he brings them through the Red Sea, parts the Red Sea, and he brings his people to freedom. And so Habakkuk is recognizing uh, these, these moments. He's taking the time to remember, acknowledge the hopefulness that we can reason out from the ways that God has provided us for us in the past, even if we're not feeling it in the present. Remembering what God has done gives us the ability to accept what he will do. Because of all of, even if we're right now in the midst of a dark moment in our life, we're walking, walking through the valley, we can remember times in which God has absolutely followed through with his provision for us in our life. If you've never taken the time to do this, let me encourage you to do this this week. Make a, make a timeline of your life and, and set it out. Not, I mean, you can, you can measure it out by decades or whatever you, whatever you want to, but what I'd really encourage you to do is... is um, Line it out by the significant moments in life, transformative, life-changing events that you've experienced. And, and whether or not those are highs or lows in your life, you, you just, just mark those things, the things that you think of. These are, the, these are the moments that have happened. And all of us can do this, and however long or however short our life has been up to this point. And then, and then I want you to just think through prayerfully, what has God done in those moments in the past? How, he, how has he showed up, shown up in, in those moments? And if you do this... What you're going to do is you're going to create this picture of your life where you're going to see this pattern of God continuing to work and move in ways that maybe in the moment you're not feeling. And, and you're going to be looking at you know, this pattern of, especially if you've been a person who's been choosing a hopeful faith consistently in your life, you're going to see this pattern in which God has continually been moving and, and, and remembering the fact that this is, this is a part of the character and nature of God, that he doesn't just kind of leave us to kind of flounder around and experiencing these things on our own, but he's, he's helping us through the dark to where he wants to bring us. He continues to work on our, on behalf, on our behalf for the good. In Romans chapter 8, in verses 26 through 28, Paul identifies this, and he says, and, and I, you should read the whole chapter, uh, but I'm going to only read these, these few verses. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For sometimes we don't even know what to pray for, for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so when we remember what God has done, we can, we can begin to trust in what he is doing. That, that we know that God is always working to the good for whatever has happened in our life. That doesn't mean that everything, we call everything that has happened in our life good. It's like, oh, this horrible tragedy. Oh, it's a good thing. You know, God wanted this for my life. No, God doesn't want us to experience those horrible things. But he is bigger than those things. And he will work those things out to the good. And this helps us develop trust in God. When we remember what he has done, we can trust in what he will do. After his verses of remembrance, Habakkuk writes this in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. 
My lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will wait quietly, I will quietly wait for the day of the trouble of trouble to come upon people who invade us. There is a physical and mental toll that the dark, dark moments in our life take on us. And those are all wrapped up in the spiritual strain that we experience when we're holding on to hope in God, when we f- feel that tension of wrestling and embracing. Habakkuk is terrified that he knows what is coming with the Babylonians who are coming to take over Judah. But not only is he choosing to accept that that will be what happens, he also trusts God that that will not be the end of the story. He says, I'm going to wait for the day of trouble to come upon not me, but upon the people who invade us. Because that's ultimately what's going to happen. We, we are not the ones who have things to fear. It's those who are perpetuating evil. It's evil in, in our lives that, that has something to fear. Because ultimately, in God's judgment, he's going to take care of all of those things. The struggle is real. And it should be acknowledged. Habakkuk does this. And he identifies, hey, this is, I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, this is the place in which I am. But he takes it one step forward, however, and it doesn't allow the struggle to consume him or define everything in his life. Instead, trusting that his firm embrace of God's will will bring peace in his life, and it will bring goodness, because he's remembered that this is what God has always done. Jesus, um, Jesus does this regularly when it comes to his ministry. Uh, in Mark chapter 9, there's this story, um, there's this interaction that Jesus has with this father who asked Jesus to heal his son. And, and we're not going to read the entire, uh, entire interaction, but if you want to, in Mark chapter 9, um, it's, it's this interaction where the, the disciples have come and they've tried to heal, heal this, this son. Um, he had a problem with... with um, uh, uh, an evil spirit, and the disciples had come along, and they had tried to cast this evil spirit out. It didn't work. So the father comes up to Jesus and says, hey, if you can, can you take care of this? And Jesus says, if I can. He says, all things are possible for those who believe. And um, depending on where you are, maybe, maybe you're kind of thinking about this in terms of how this father does. In, Matt, in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, uh, the father says, I believe help my unbelief. And, and maybe you've been in that place before. Maybe you have friends um, that, that have been in that place. Where, yeah, I, okay, I believe. I want, I want to believe. <laughs> I, I really, I would, lo- I would love to believe, but help, help my unbelief. It's such a visceral and relatable statement from someone hurting and needing God. You know, I think back to Romans chapter 8, and I think, man, thank God we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us as Christians to, to help us in those moments where we don't have the words. God, just, I want to believe, but help, help me in this. And Jesus heals this man's son. And the disciples ask him later, hey, how come we couldn't get this one out? Why, why couldn't we just say, hey, you, you get out of here, evil, evil spirit, and it didn't work. And Jesus says, this one can only be done with prayer. The reason he says that is because the disciples had misapplied the point in Jesus enabling him to join him in the healing part of his ministry. They were thinking that their relationship with God was giving them a power to wield. And so, oh man, if I, if I believe in God and I, tr- I trust in him, if I, if I become baptized, if I become a, a, a follower of Jesus, a, a disciple, then God's going God's gonna to pave the way for blessing and for glory and th- things are, things are going to be amazing. And then all of a sudden, you know, we come up and, and we hit this wall. We're like, what in the world, God? What is your problem? 
Because we thought this was a, kind of our ticket to, man, this is the good life. Like, this is, everything's going to be great from this, this point forward. But that was, not, that was not the point. The point was not to give, them, give us a power to wield. But the point was to give us communion with God, to nurture and grow us, to partner with him. As he, he's the one who has the power to do these things in, in our life. We depend on him. And when we try to make it happen on our own power, it's not going to work. So trust is the only way forward for us to be around when God is working. And so Habakkuk is trading his physical and mental anxiety for the spiritual habit and discipline of trusting God and fulfilling his role as God's messenger to the people versus continuing on the message he wants to give, to give God. That's why he says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be silent and wait for the ultimate good that you are bringing in this, in this section. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to be done with this, and I'm going to move on to what you have called me to do. And trusting in God results in following through on what he calls us to do. I mean, in those moments of waiting and hoping in the dark, the, the way that helps us move through that, through that moment is to, is to be, be partnering with God on, on what he, he is doing. Anybody who's ever been through an, any kind of injury, like a sports injury or surgery, you, you've experienced this. Um, there are moments when we feel weak, we can't do what we did before, but if we, if we get into physical therapy and we do the hard work, and, and feel the good pain of working things out, we, we progress. I still remember, I, I tore up my ankle really bad in, in high school. I mentioned this a couple, couple weeks ago. And I still remember how it felt trying to walk again on that ankle. Like, I, st- I still remember the pain. I still rem- remember the pain of my headgear. Anybody have that for, with braces? I still remember very much how that, how that feels. I still remember what it felt like to try to walk on that ankle. And yet, I was supposed to. And it hurt. It was incredibly painful, and I, I went from, you know, playing sports to, uh, oh, I get to learn how to walk again, uh, ba- you know, basically, where I'm, you know, I had to start off with a crutch and, and put that weight on slowly, and I had to go through physical therapy, and it took a long time to get it back. I wasn't immediately going back to running and jumping. There were times that I definitely did not want to walk on it. <laughs> you know, it, it hurt really bad, but it was also a necessary part of the process to get back to using it. Thankfully, that's a, now a distant memory, and I pray it continues to, to be one uh, because I still like to play sports, and I just want, you know, right now, only my knee hurts. And so I just, I'd like to keep it to just, just one thing. Um, this is a process that we have to trust God in. Sometimes it's long and arduous, but we know that the principles of God, when applied, prove effective because we can remember that that is the case. And in particular, when it comes to God, we know what the outcome is going to be that he's going to bring us to exactly where we need, need to end up. And so what we do when God is doing what he does, we wait patiently and we wait actively, remembering what he has done and rejoicing in what he will do. So we remember and we trust in a hopeful faith that remembering and trusting leads to praise. Remember, Habakkuk, in his response to God in this conversation, that is really unresolved in his life, because it's going to be 70 years from now, before this Babylonian thing that's happening is, is going, to be, going to be resolved. Habakkuk's not even going to see the end of it. He writes this hymn that is a hymn of praise. In verses 17 through 19, he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Can you imagine us singing this, this on a Sunday morning? You know, if everything, if the, you know, everything goes up in flames... Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. 
He makes me tread on my high places. And this is to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is meant for worship. Keep in mind Habakkuk, he, he writes this without the conclusion already having happened. He is trusting, he's remembering and trusting God's track record. You know, we spend a decent amount of time in the valley in life. Like that's, that's, where, we, that's where we till the earth. That's where we grow things. That's where we have a lot of different ex- experiences. But God has created us for so much for so much more. And so even if everything in the valley fails, he, he brings us up. He has a higher place for us. And he wants us to bring us to that place. God gives us strength for higher heights and can bring us there from even our lowest lows. And that praise, that participation in praise, it, it produces perspective. PPPPP. Um, we had a We had a good friend pass away unexpectedly Friday night. And sometimes, you know, I, I, I wonder things, and I always have these different internal dialogue, you know, things in my mind. I wonder sometimes if people believe, you know, just, you know, he's preaching that because he's supposed to, it, you know, that, that's something that, you know, you know he, he has to do because he's a preacher, that kind of thing, and I just want to let you know, like, these, these are not just things that I'm just saying because scripture says it, but it's because I really do believe um, this is how God works and moves in, in, our, in our lives, like, when we come to these moments, these are, these are really the things that he calls us into because it makes such a incredibly difference in uh, incredibly big difference in us is is this a sad moment for us yes absolutely as i think about my friend and his son you know you know and just what they're having to deal with um do do i know that it's tough for them right now you know that is this a dark moment a- absolutely it's un- unimaginable you know, what, what, they're, what they're facing and going through. However, I also know that she loved Jesus. And it was very evident in her life. And so, yeah, yeah we're sad. It, it, it's a dark moment. But really and truly and honestly... As I was able to talk with my friend on the phone yesterday, not only, not only can we speak honestly and, and, and say, yes, this, this is a sad moment, we can also recognize and remember how she lived her life with God and the trust that she placed in God's promises that we could share with her in the same hope and the same faith that she is absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, in a better place, and we will see her again. There's a particular type of hope that we get to hope in, and we get to trust in because of who God is. 
and because of how he relates to us through Jesus. And when we participate in, in that, even, even in the moments in which we struggle the hardest, we can still praise and honor and glorify him for the goodness that he will do. As followers of Jesus, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit is the ongoing presence of God at work within us. Even in those moments where we feel like we're farther away from God than we want, it, want us to be, as Christians, we know that the gift of the Holy Spirit is a part of us saying yes. I, you know, um, the first ever gospel message, Peter says, repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, you're going to be redeemed back to God. You're going to, you're going to be with him. There's never going to be a place in our life where we find ourselves that we can be further, further from God because he is right there with us all along the way. The more we become conscious of the, this fact, we become conscious of the hope that is sustained within us, and we are more aware of what God has done in our lives. And when we build up our memory of what God has continued to do versus the obstacles and the things maybe that are vying for our attention to distract us from those things, when we remember, and that remembrance builds up trust in us that God is going to be consistent and what he promises to do in our, in, our, in our lives, that he is going to continue to grow us for the good, we know what the outcome is. That even when life isn't good, God still is. And he's good all the time. And he's worthy of our praise because even when we're stuck in the dark, we know that that dark is only temporary. And the hope that we embrace through Jesus is eternal. I think the thing that vies for our attention the most is, is kind of the physical darkness that we go through, those moments and circumstances and situations that we face in which, you know, we, we, we struggle. Um, but there's a, there's a darkness that's more significant, and a spiritual darkness, and a separation from, from God. And I, I want to encourage you to help be a light in the lives of people who are walking through the dark who do not, who do not know Jesus. Because that, that's a particularly more difficult, visceral struggle for people. Because when you're stuck without hope in the dark, the darkness is much more overwhelming. As Christians, we need each other to help each other be remembered of the light that we have in our life because of Jesus. And so absolutely, we need to walk alongside of each other. We, we shouldn't let each other stand alone in, in those moments at all. I mean, we need to... That's part of why we're called to be gathered in community, so that we can help encourage each other in, in those dark moments. But I just want to, in particular, this moment, this moment, you know, as I think about um, our friend who passed away and her family, you know, the, the whole conception of, you know, especially when I have to do a funeral, the whole conception of, you know, what you're thinking when you know somebody is, is, is going to, you know, be a part of the promise of eternal life with God, you know, so different from someone that you know who is separated from that. And so, so part of what is so important about us holding on to hope in the, in the dark as followers of Jesus, as disciples, is that, you know, we're called to share that particular hope with other people so that they can, they can join in that with us. And so I, I really, I really want to encourage you to be, um, to be aware of that in the lives of people that you know that are around, around you. That not everybody has the hope that we get to hold on to. Not everybody has somebody who's encouraging them in that hope. 
and that spiritual darkness is much worse than physical darkness. And so let, let us, let's be people who, we, we embrace God and we hold on, on to the hope, not just for ourselves so we have a better conception of life and an easier worldview and the, the way forward, but so that we can, so we can share that with others. That some, of the, some of the goodness that God brings out in our life, despite us having gone through darkness, is that we get to share that hope and that goodness with other people. I mean, so often that, that is the thing, you know, how does God bring goodness out of this thing that I've experienced? Because you get to share the fact that that's not the end of the story with other people. And that you have a, a unique perspective in which you get to share in how God has moved in the timeline of your life. You get to remember that and show how the trust in him working and moving has, has brought you to this place where you can live a life of worship and praise. And so let me encourage that. If you, if you are in a place in your life where you have not said yes to Jesus um, and you recognize that, hey, this is, it's, it's time. Like, it's time for me to, um, to go all in. It's time for me to be baptized. It's time to me to say, to say, God, all right, I want to participate in this picture of your death, burial, and resurrection that, um, that eliminates, not because of, you know, magical water or anything, but, you know, because of what it symbolizes and what God does in our life, that it eliminates the darkness from us. And from that point forward, it is, it is just the light of Jesus that now we get to reflect and emanate. Let me encourage you to make that decision uh, today. We'd love to, to talk with you about that, to pray with you about that, and, uh, and talk about what it looks like to, to say yes to Jesus. Um, in the meantime, like we do every week at Velocity, we're going to continue our worship with communion. And you know, the, the self-sacrificial nature of how God loves us is such a poignant reminder that even in this darkest moment where Jesus dies on the cross, it still wasn't the end of the story. They rose again in three days. And that resurrection is always, always part of our story, even when we're facing death. And so let's celebrate that together this morning as we're sharing communion. There are a couple different tables around the room uh, with a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. And we're going to uh, remember Jesus' broken body and his shed blood so that we might be able to embrace hope regardless of the darkness we face. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for this, this time of worship. And we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And God, help us to remember these, these moments in which they're, they're clear communication from you about how you love us, how you care for us, and, and what you're working toward in our life. God, we, uh, we thank you for this, this time to be able to put our full attention on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.